Welcome to Mandatory Wellness Session. I'm your host, Anoop. And I'm your other host, Samir. Samir. How's it going? It's not bad. We're recording a little sooner. I know. After our last one. I know. The this previous is the first interval. time where I actually kind of know how it's going. <laughs> right. You're like, how's it going? I'm like, I don't think I have anything to say. <laughs> it's been fine in the, in, the, in the week since we last recorded. Right, right. We're very much like a like a binge a binge dieter when it comes to podcasts. We're like, okay, now we're yeah. recording a podcast. Let's record 80 of them. <laughs> <laughs> and then release them slowly so that anything we say is extraordinarily irrelevant by the time it comes yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. We have to avoid all topical references. But pretty much all I all we have to say is like, hmm, did you hear about that thing that happened? It wasn't good. Just <laughs> applied. That's 2020. It's accurate. Also, just like assuming we publish this sometime in the next, I don't know, year. Man, crazy how COVID's still happening. Yes. yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> One, if if we exist in a world where that becomes not topical, I'll be very happy. I'm, I'm yeah, very happy be, to be, be wrong about that'd that. That'd be extraordinary. Yeah, that'd be for sure. Yeah. For sure. It's really interesting. I, I was reading, apparently there's a there's a good proportion of the country, I guess I shouldn't be surprised by this, that like legitimately thinks like coronavirus is like semi a hoax. Or at least how the death tolls are, kind of whatever. Like, just various things about it are sort of fake. And that, like, once, like, after the election happens, it'll sort of just, like, magically, like, not be around anymore. Like, oh, man, that's crazy. It's like, that's not even a little how this works. It's just really crazy to me. Like, I, I know, and I should expect that. And yet, basically, I, I guess I'm surprised that I still have the ability to be surprised, is all I'm saying. Yeah. I wish I still had that. <laughs> I you know. still get angry, which is not helpful. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm I'm not surprised by the sort of depths of humanity. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. I I certainly shouldn't be, but it's weird because uh, work used to be like the time when I was exposed to depressing things. <laughs> like you go to work and it's like, oh, look at all these sad stories, <laughs> and now like work by comparison, yeah, not the end of the world. <laughs> No, it's not. It's not. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, solid. Anything? Anything interesting going on in your life since we last recorded? No. <laughs> Just straight up no. No, I mean I've been on IR, so it's been all work. Uh, very little play. It's very interesting how you manage your free time, quote unquote free time when you're on a block that is that busy. Because I have like thirty minutes to myself at the end of the day so what do i do with that it's a it's a very valuable small amount of time yeah no i i remember distinctly thinking this because um you know the difference between leaving the hospital at like seven or leaving at nine is two hours You're like okay i mean that's not great you prefer to leave on the earlier side but whatever it doesn't seem that crazy but when you shift it to the amount of free time you have assuming you want to get a good amount of sleep let's say you have to wake up by like 5 30 and therefore you want to sleep let's say at latest by like 10 30 in the perfect world so that you get like seven hours inevitably that doesn't happen but let's say so if you leave at nine the time you get home that means you have like an hour to like eat and like do the things for the next day and go to bed if you leave at six or seven you have like three to four hours right and so by that logic you actually have like 300 percent more time <laughs> yes yes well it's the fractions right is staying at work for an additional 30 minutes is not that much more work because you've already been there for 12 hours. Right. It's like 30 minutes, whatever, no big deal. But 
not being home for an additional 30 minutes yeah is a exactly astronomically large amount of time not yeah precisely which i think is yeah it's it's i think it's less immediately obvious but that is yeah that that, that is the killer yeah yeah that is yeah precisely and it's very difficult to prioritize once you get home because you're just like okay oh, sure. now i have literally everything i need to do outside of the hospital and like what am i gonna choose to do right now and it can't just be nothing like right you well <laughs> it often is but, but it, it shouldn't you feel be. bad about it the whole time yeah, yeah i i uh, commented on a recent um there's a friend had a posted a facebook status and i was just saying like i am never more motivated than on my drive home and I'm never less motivated than the literal instant I step through the door. <laughs> it's so hard. I don't know what it's the crazy. is. Is it shoes? It's crazy. Should I not take off my shoes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. I'm in the car. I'm like, oh, man, I'm going to do like X, Y, C. I get home and I'm like, I'm going to lie on the couch. <laughs> yeah. I, the <laughs> trick I found, and this is like maybe pathological, is just don't stop moving. Like, get in the door, drop that your is, bag. That's a question, pathological. Yeah. Take off your shoes, like, load the dishwasher, take your laundry to the machine, whatever you need to do, just don't stop. Because the second oh you God. stop, you're, you're done. <laughs> it's over. <laughs> All right. That's actually kind of how I operate at work, too. It's just more effective at work, where it's like, if I stop to, like, check uh my phone or something i'm gonna spend like 15 minutes doing that no sure where it's that, like okay that like, is definitely true go see a consult go set up a new patient go do all this this is particularly on ir yeah you just got to keep moving well i mean i think that, that speaks to I think, something we discussed on maybe a couple episodes ago at this point i'm not sure exactly when but um when we were basically going to work less due to um covid really being you know really ramping up and that may be happening again soon. Who can say? Yeah, totally. Uh, that you could s- slot that statement into any point in this year, <laughs> right? Right, exactly. And so during that time, when we'd be at work, there would be a lot less going on because we weren't operating as much because like there weren't that many surgeries happening. And those days where you'd only be in at work for like I don't know, ten hours, but t- it would just drag because um, you're just like doing not now you're doing nothing, but you're just doing way less stuff. But you're just around, kind of waiting to see if you have consults, taking care of some random stuff. But on those days when you're just like, go, 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 it's stressful and tiring, but the day does go by quickly. Yeah, yeah. And then it's also the ratio of how much you're doing. Like, a four-hour case where I did everything took about an hour of mental energy. A one-hour case where I stood behind the attending takes like five hours. (laughs) I'm just like so exhausted by the time I leave uh yeah oh my god autonomy yeah like crazy crazy that's so all coming together we should do an episode about that <laughs> <laughs> also i will say i feel like great job us we we completed we completed the four things yeah we did it we did a we did a thing which was our old podcasts concept <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's nice to have done something uh yeah, yeah now we're back good. to like free form episodes until we come up with another good series idea I guess, yeah. And the freedom is daunting. Again, we we have, we have time to ourselves, and I don't know what to do with it. It's tricky, yeah. This this is the time when you guys email in with all your suggestions. Yes. <laughs> Finally, I can get an email on that account that's not just from Instagram <laughs> telling me that someone liked a post. One random thing uh, that I saw whoa, I guess whoa, on whoa. Twitter. You didn't file the random thing paperwork. Ooh, you need to get at yeah. least three signatures. To, to file an injunction to deliver a random thing. 
Oh my god. Well, okay. Well, I guess we'll put this on hold. We'll come back when we next have time. Yeah. And we'll continue. And stick only to planned statements. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yes, this one random thing, it was on Med Twitter, and basically there was an article published, I believe in the Journal of Vascular Surgery. That so was like, read. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> and, I, and I say this as someone who has uh, actually several uh, like good friends who are, who, are, who are vascular surgery residents, so maybe this is just on brand for a certain group of vascular surgeons, I don't know. Point being... Uh, there was a paper published. I think it was actually published earlier this year, but it only became like free to access recently, which is why it's been blowing up. Basically, they stalked the social media accounts of vascular surgery residents and like graded how professional they were on like various things. Like, did they have political statements? Did they use profanity? And notably, did they have in- inappropriate photos, which included uh, provocative Halloween costumes, swimwear, and the like, which... Feels a little gendered, maybe. <laughs> Severe, a hundred percent gendered. hundred. When have you ever accused a dude of having a provocative Halloween costume? And keep in mind, frat culture is a thing where dudes will just frequently like not have a shirt on and be like, "Oh I'm no!" A I mean, of guy. course. Yeah. I mean, like for example, I have friends who have dressed up as like Chippendale dancers, right? Like the shirtless guy wearing like the bow tie and like shirt cuffs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, by any, I mean by minimal stretch of the imagination that is that is clearly a provocative halloween costume and yet i feel like wouldn't that be is described not, as provocative i feel like that is not um not what they meant yeah um, so i yeah, mean i have friends who have, like they're swimmers you know they played water polo or whatever and they have pictures where they're just a bunch of dudes in speedos and i highly doubt anybody would be like that's inappropriate swimwear because it's yeah. you know water polo related or whatever but i mean yes yeah <laughs> it's yeah no it's exactly just, right it's coded language, but I think clearly also also language. the code is very easy to break. Yeah, it's not, <laughs> not that coded, guys. Like like that code does not take enigma. That code takes like I don't know, like the ability to read. I guess yeah, an existent society. And I guess I don't want to put vascular surgeons on blast. That's not the intention of this. It just it makes sense why this article could get published without any of them having been like hmm, maybe this isn't a thing we should do, <laughs> like. Right. Because, you know, they, they all just work with each other. And it was all like literally a group. It, I think they were all just the same vascular surgery group, right? Something to I that affair. I think they were all men, too. I yeah. Believe, it's just like paper. Yeah. Maybe you should have talked to somebody about this before you. Put yeah. It. And the word like un- objectively calling something unprofessional is a stretch. And in their article, they try to like codify it where they're like, well, this is potentially unprofessional and this is definitely unprofessional. <laughs> sure. I think there are things. I think if you have on a public profile pictures of you like being like super drunk, probably shouldn't do that. Yeah. I, I think that's very reasonable actually. But a picture of you holding a drink is not unprofessional. Yeah. Like you're allowed to drink alcohol. What the fuck? It's it's baffling to me. It's like what is this prohibition era? <laughs> like, like what? Like I mean, like I I totally get what like th- there is a point at which it is totally inappropriate. I 100 percent agree. Yeah, but that is not when you are like it's just crazy. I don't. Yeah, and then the whole provocative clothing thing. I, it's just so old world. Like let people wear what they want to wear. Well, also I, I was reading. Uh, once again, there's like obviously a lot of Twitter threads about this, and I, I think what is a really good point is they go in with this premise basically that patients will change their selection of a vascular surgeon based on what they find on social media about a person and let me as far as i can tell it sounds like they like created fake profiles to like 
find out this information like it was a little sketchy oh it, so wasn't it just was like, incognito mode and fake profiles to like friend people and look up what yeah, they do exactly so it wasn't just like oh i'm just, i google someone and it's the first thing that pops up as a picture of them doing x y and z which even if it is who cares but it's like it was more than that though like they, 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 they put a lot of effort to basically like facebook stalk these people but even setting that aside do they have evidence that when patients google their doctor if they find a picture of them with a beer in their hand, they're going to be like, I don't want to go to that doctor. Because I bet they don't. I have not seen studies that show that. Oh, rather, yeah. Is there is there a sort of null hypothesis even valid? Right. right that's what I'm saying. Like, is, is there, like, what they're saying is, like, we're trying to quantify the amount of unprofessional behavior and see if that's going to cause issues. But, like, you don't even know if what you're calling unprofessional behavior would cause issues, period. You know what? Samir, you hit my trigger. This study, the outcomes are not patient-centered. <laughs> They're, they're actually not though not it's actually very funny they're literally not it's just like well i think this is unprofessional and so <laughs> therefore <laughs> something yeah, it's crazy they're like that's actually very funny i didn't like frame it that way in my head but you're totally like they're actually it's a really not based at all i need to see this study in terms of overall survival hey <laughs> maybe progression free survival I'll settle for progression-free survival as long as it gets them to transplant. But I will not stand for this fucking bullshit nebulous <laughs> unprofessional versus professional patient-centered outcomes. That's really fun. That's really good. No, it's true that. It honestly, it's objectively true. Yeah, there's not. I, I don't think they've proven that, really. They, I, don't, I don't think they've proven their premise, which I think is... So beyond the fact that I think this is kind of embarrassingly 40 years ago thinking... I think beyond that, it's also just not good science. Yeah, it's like it's it's both textbook bad research and sort of socio politically inappropriate. Yeah, there are also some really good um, comments on it. I think on the same sort of Twitter threads that are like, you know, the inter- the institution you're at has lots of very good social scientists. Like, if you want to do social science research, like maybe you should talk to them about it. Yeah, instead of and just like actually make a worthwhile met- methodology. Yeah, basically. yeah, it's almost as though like it's unprofessional to do a study that this is this inappropriately designed <laughs> that might right. be unprofessional yeah actually yeah. because you are actually doing your profession incorrectly <laughs> right kind literally of. unprofessional so oh um, boy yeah and, and and so the response to it has been this hashtag med bikini which is uh actually i mean it's been i've seen both genders on the hashtag but mm-hmm. mostly women posing in bikinis saying like i am a healthcare provider and this is how I look in my free time, and that should be an accepted thing. Which I like. I don't even need to. I don't feel strongly the need to comment on it because obviously, 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 you should look how you want to look in your free time. Like why? Why? Like why would this possibly affect me? Be comfortable. First of all, I know scrubs make us all look like formless blobs, but we have forms. <laughs> We are not I just mean, blue cloth wrapped around a, a sort of human blob, though. That's how I feel most days. Yeah, no, it's true. Right, exactly. Such a weird thing. And the funny thing is I saw the hashtag first. So I wake up this morning and it's just a bunch of like my <laughs> colleagues posting pictures in bikinis and I'm like, something happened. <laughs> For what. sure. Unclear what. I'm confused. Also, the hashtag med bikini. I'm like, is Figs making bikinis now? Like what happened? No, for sure. I'll be honest. Like in terms of like good hashtags, not my favorite. No, yeah. I mean, I guess it gets the point across, but I don't know. It just seems like 
It felt like a little more effort could have been used. Yeah, but yeah. That, well, that's a know, minor. It's it's really a minor quote. I think the best like sassy hashtags kind of use the language of the person you're making fun of, right? Yes, I, yes. I, I think that's what it is. Like, I, I think there's a way to be a little more kind of like get a dig in. Yeah, you know. I mean, just off the top of my head, I'm like, what is it? provocative clothing? Or yeah. Something. Hashtag unprofessional. Oh, hashtag fun professional. Mm, yeah, well, pretty this, good. I'm a it here. I don't. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a marketing <laughs> it's, it's guy. Not, but. It's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's going to change at this point, but... <laughs> no, no, I mean, we can't remake... A, I, clearly, I'm late to the party. Obviously. Though not obviously. really. The Boston Globe article about this was published, like, 15 hours before we were recording. So I'm like, I guess I read this in a timely manner. Oh, and to be clear, it's going to be, like, at least one to two weeks before this is published. Oh, yeah. So, such this a This is going to be super out of date. <laughs> this is going to be... Though, this is going to be the coldest take. For people <laughs> in medicine, I would not be surprised if there's a lot of people who just do not hear about this. Because we don't go on social media that right. much. Right, we're like, just like, like busy, yeah. Yeah, which is sure. also just another annoying thing. It's like, you're criticizing me. I go on social media like 10 seconds a day, dude. Like, right. leave me yeah, in like, peace. Let me look. Well, it, it, it's interesting, actually. I, this is a very notable example because they did. It, it, it is very obviously gendered beyond the fact that even if it weren't gendered, it's still kind of dumb. Like, why are we obsessing over this? But the, in and of itself, it is not a new thing. There are several studies, I think within urology as well, that have looked at social media profiles of I think either residents or medical students and sort of passed judgment on them. Um, so it's not new. I think it seems like surgical specialties seem to care about this a lot for reasons that are somewhat... Once again, I, I understand in the extreme the reason to. Like, yes, you should not be posting things that are like grossly unprofessional on your profile. Things like referencing like patients in like way too much detail, you know what I mean? Or like or like I think my example is a good one, like just like being like blackout drunk, like that would be genuinely unprofessional. But I, I, I think most of these examples are not that. Yeah. In general. It's like you don't want to have something so bad on there where someone might question your decision making capacity, which I think like blackout drunk is one of those cases where it's like, right. oh, can you make a good decision? Because clearly right. you're very irresponsible at your free time. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yes. Or right. So I and but I think those things actually just apply to most jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I feel like the standard actually is not that different. It's interesting because some people will argue the exact same point, but for the wrong reason, where like somebody will do something terrible and they're like, well, they shouldn't lose their job because that's just a thing they did in their free time. Like the woman in Central Park who oh, yes. threatened to call the cops on this uh, African-American man who was telling her to not like choke her dog. And she's <laughs> while he was bird watching. While he All was right. bird watching. Just the most benign activity. The most ever. innocent, pure activity like that could exist. Yeah, yeah. But the, the you know, we don't need to make appeals to his innocence. Right. He because was he's innocent. Just, like, he's just, he's just, he's just a guy. He's just a guy. Like he could be he could have just been chilling there like doing anything. Yeah. He could have been doing something that we don't consider socially responsible. Yeah. But like, even if he were littering, yeah. still don't call the cops well, on someone who's littering. I mean, if he's littering. No. <laughs> I just take littering very seriously. <laughs> sure, sure. No, but it was just, and, and a bunch of people came to her defense and they were like, well, she shouldn't lose her job over this. And I'm like, she's just demonstrated like a clear and present bias towards a person and she's threatening to file a false police report she's she literally committing a crime lose her job for sure she should lose her job yeah or like all the people who are like will post racist shit and then people like report that to their jobs and they lose their job and they're like i thought this was america and it's like it is, it is. and you are gonna lose your job yeah. good day <laughs> it's not 
illegal for you to be a terrible person, but people are allowed to treat you like you're a terrible person if you're a terrible person. Right. It is America. You're more than free to say the terrible shit you want to say. But with the Maybe rest you'll of even us... become president. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can openly admit to sexually assaulting women and still become the president. <laughs> Anyways, that's been the episode, guys. Yeah. Well, anyway, so I, I think there actually is a little bit of relevance of all of this to our topic for today. And that is the idea of imposter syndrome and comparing yourself to other people throughout training. And I think even after training and how that can make you feel kind of like garbage. Right. And I think the relevance is that I think for women and her underrepresented minorities in medicine, I think that imposter syndrome is, I think it's, I think everyone experiences it, but I think it's even more common for them because, you know, they don't like quote unquote, unquote, like look like a surgeon, right? Like that, for example, oh, that's a great hashtag, by the way, that is a great hashtag. I look like a surgeon or like, you know, you know, that's, uh, that was a good one. Per- See, we're talking perfect, about hashtag Perfect design. example. Perfect example. The actual topic of today's podcast is designing <laughs> your hashtag. Yeah. It's such a good hashtag because it's like you're you're like pointing out the stupidity of people saying stuff like that. Anyway, point being, things like imposter syndrome, I think, tend to be overrepresented in populations that have been historically underrepresented in medicine because they don't have the type of role models that basically represent them. And I guess our discussion today is how does that affect overall resident wellness when you're sort of experiencing that throughout residency and throughout your training? So I think we can agree. It's like, it's a very day-to-day thing. The, yeah. Especially because we exist in a field in which we have like direct comparison available at all time, right? You will mm-hmm. always have your co-residents around at all times, always, right? And it's one of those ways in which just the existence of your co-residents can like really affect your wellness because them succeeding feels like a tacit loss on your front where it's like, well, I didn't get it right. And then they got it right. So I'm an idiot and they're great. Which is, which is shitty, right? You should just be able to be like, oh wow, good job them. But it's very hard. It's very hard because the supposition is that you should all be at the same level. Yeah. And it's a thing that medicine takes advantage of. Like they like to put you in situations where you are constantly compared because it will make you pseudo compete to be the best and be the most competent. No one wants to be the person who's caught with their pants down during a, a pimping session. No one wants to get into a case and be asked a question about the patient and be the person who doesn't know it, right? And it starts when you're an intern, but at least when you're an intern, you're like, physically, you are the dumbest person in the room. Right. So it's fine. It's like you're expected to not know some things, right? But the second you're a senior, it's way worse. <laughs> It because is, yeah. now there's a supposition that like people have been teaching you for a year so everything you don't know is actually just a thing you didn't learn it's not that you don't know it because no one taught you it yet it's now a failing right. on your part right exactly well so it's interesting so part of the reason that i thought of doing this topic is someone i know uh, who is also a radiology resident had been listening to whoa, 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 wait you've been hanging out with other radiology residents <laughs> I'm sorry to find out this way. Oh my god. On air? On the podcast? <laughs> you know? Why'd you just text me to break up with me? <laughs> <laughs> and this radiology resident was listening to the podcast and they, and they liked it. And they were saying that like sometimes though it makes them feel kind of bad when you're when if like you for example will discuss something that like you've done and like you feel comfortable in a certain modality and they don't yet because they're the same year. I was like, that is fascinating. Oh, wow. Well, see, now I know this person and I feel bad about that. 
<laughs> let let it be said that most of the things I say are me trying to convince myself that I know them. <laughs> Where I'm like, I'm good at this. Aren't I good at this? I'm good at this. And the person is not not saying it like really with like that level of sincerity. Like I cry myself to sleep when I finish your podcast. But I think it was an interesting point because I hadn't really considered that. But it's definitely something that I experience, right? Like that sense of comparing yourself and trying to figure out where you stand. And it's very hard to gauge accurately, I think, uh, in all honesty, because you don't work with your co-residents in that setting very often. From the surgical standpoint, you guys don't really operate together, right? So it's, it's a little hard to actually judge, but inevitably you're always sort of doing that mental comparison to make sure that you're sort of on track, right? It's less that you're like, oh, I want to be better. It's just like, I want to make sure I am on track and that we're at sort of the same level. And I think that is, it's hard. It, it honestly is really hard. And I mean, I'll say personally, uh, the timing of this podcast is actually pretty good. But I think of late, I've been feeling that. Um, and I think I felt it on multiple times throughout residency. So I think, it's, I think it's a normal thing to feel to an extent, but it feels more extreme recently. And I can't attribute it to my particular rotation being like super hard or stressful. Like it's actually, a, it's, very, it's a relatively chill rotation. I'm going to operate, like things aren't too crazy, but I just, yeah, I just felt a little more insecure, a little more impostery than I think I have, at least recently. It feels like it's worse. I don't have a great explanation for why that is. And so I think it's something that I've been thinking about a lot, actually, particularly recently. So obviously you just said, I don't know if I have a good reason why that is. When did you first notice that it was coming back? Right. So I think I noticed it really, honestly, kind of, honestly, very recently, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I was talking to a friend about just kind of focus on multiple things and not being good at multitasking and then talking about how residency makes, residency makes that harder because you're tired. And I kind of just went into this whole thing about how I think in residency, you tend to fix that on your failures and you don't really pay attention to when you actually do things well and how that just kind of makes you feel like a failure. And then I was like, oh my God, that was a lot. <laughs> what? what even happened? That was, a, that was a crazy tangent to go down. And there was a, this is a person who's like non-medical and she was like, are you? Yeah. Are you okay? <laughs> it's just so. like in the middle of their conversation like wait you're not my therapist <laughs> I, I have to go now <laughs> right exactly so it was interesting so i i spoke to my sister about it because you know she's in medicine uh, and she was actually saying so um, my brother-in-law is uh, uh ent and he um she was saying like he sort of experienced kind of a similar thing sort of around the same time right around like third year of, res of residency um and maybe fourth year as well where i think as you're you're moving through it and you're thinking about yourself being closer to being an attending although you know still three years to go it starts becoming very alarming because you're like i don't know anything <laughs> i don't know any of these things i need to know them i have to know them i can't like just be like a terrible surgeon or a terrible urologist or just a terrible doctor and it starts i think you know for me personally it started more in the operating room because so i'll be doing things and just feel like I'm not sort of up to snuff, even though people will tell me, they're like, you're fine. Like you're kind of where I would expect you to be. But I'm just like, no, 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 I need to be like better. And then that kind of goes into other aspects of it as well, like just like general decision making and stuff too, like you like second guessing yourself more. And so I do think part of that is sort of a natural course. I, I was talking to my sister about this and she was like, she's like, I think it's just like part of like the Dunning-Kruger effect, like the idea that initially there's this peak where you're like, oh, I feel like pretty good. And I, I like know what I'm doing and I feel much more comp confident than I did recently. I think I definitely felt that at times last year as, as a two. I'd be doing stuff. I'd be seeing consults. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I know what to do. Like this is like straightforward, et cetera. And that's sort of referred to in, the, uh, you know, uh, on a lot of these graphs as Mount Stupid, mm -hmm. which is like, oh, I know these things. And then you're like, oh, fuck, I don't know anything. Yeah. Mount um, Stupid, tallest peak in the Himalayas. Right. That's what yeah, people, people don't know that. <laughs> 
And um, then after Mount Stupid is, is the Valley of Despair, where you crater and you're like, I know literally nothing. Yeah. Well, the thing about the Valley of Despair is obviously the name is bad, but the rent is great. <laughs> <laughs> you're like you're like not too far from LA, so you know like the commute can be rough. You know if you're going with traffic, but don't discount the Valley of Despair. That's yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, hey, that's what, that's what people say. They say you know sometimes you got to live in the valley. Yeah, exactly. That's the valley they're talking about. If that's you're ever listening to like a podcast or watching a TV show, they reference the valley. It's the Valley of Despair. That's the Valley of Despair. It's the valley yeah. where Mufasa dies. A lot of people don't know ooh, that. Ooh, ooh. I just watched Lion King very recently. Oh, did you really? Oh, that's the 2019 one. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, yeah, that makes more sense. It's like less arbitrary. But yeah, so I think so that's I think part of that. And in talking, and I recently talked to um, the chief resident I've been working with, and she's great. And she was kind of saying the same thing as well that she experienced that kind of around this time as well. And I think she's like still experiences about different things. But also at this time in residency, she was experiencing the same thing. And so it didn't really make that go away, but it made me feel a little less alone, which I think is nice. I was like, okay, so I'm not just like yeah, yeah. the only one feeling, you know. Feeling so this. when you brought up the topic of this episode, I thought to myself, oh, I guess I don't really suffer from imposter syndrome. Like I think I, I usually think I'm pretty good at things. And then over the last four weeks of IR... I've had multiple attendings pull me aside and say, like, you're doing a good job. I feel like you beat yourself up too much. And I'm like, oh, I guess I am projecting into the world that I don't think I'm very good at stuff. (laughs) Because everybody, like, these are multiple attendings who are known for, like, you know, busting people's chops. And he's like, I just want you to know, like, I think you're doing a good job. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's always a little concerning. And it's very nice. And it feels good. It's like beneficence, right? Like, it's very nice when attendings are like, are you okay? But sometimes I'm like, oh, God, what am I doing that makes you think that I'm not? (laughs) Exactly. It does not help at all. (laughs) No, no, but it it, it is, you know, I want to be clear. It is good. It's good. Like, noticing things about your trainees and being, like, concerned about them, it is a good thing to do. And and I think for anybody without my particular pathology, that is exactly what you should do. For me, it just makes it seem like, well, now it's so obvious that I'm doing a bad job (laughs) that you feel the need. Like, now you're compelled to say, like, hey, you're doing okay. Like, you wouldn't need to say which isn't the way I even behave. Like I tell people, I tell interns they're right. doing a good job all the time. That's the classic paradox, right? Like I am nicer to other people, I think, than I am to myself. Infinitely. Often. Yeah, yeah. That's just like baseline for sure. Yeah, yeah. Other people can get like simple things right. I'm like, you're doing a great job. You know a lot. You're learning. Me, I get like the 10th order pimping question wrong. I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? <laughs> get it together. <laughs> You're a trash person. Right. No, exactly. And so I think, well, I, I think it's like what your point actually about IR is actually a really good and relevant one, which is that I agree with you. I think I'm generally someone where I have been lucky to not suffer from imposter syndrome that much in general. I and mean, people suffer from that in med school or even in college or even earlier. And I think I haven't really that much until residency. And I think part of that is the procedural nature of the residency. I mean, it happens to everybody in residency, but I would say personally for me, I think it stems from the procedural nature. But I think as I said before, I don't think I'm someone who is like naturally gifted from like a technical skill standpoint. I don't think I'm like terrible, but I am definitely not naturally gifted. And so it is a bit of a struggle and it does take work on my part. And so I think that is sort of what is my focus point when I think about I am not measuring up. Right. Uh, it's funny that you bring up the concept of like working at it too, because I think work ethic is where I feel the most imposter syndrome, where I constantly feel like I am not doing enough work. Where, But then we talk about like the quantifiable amount of time that we put 
in at the hospital and for some reason i just don't count that i'm like yeah. oh, well that's not work i should be studying at home I'm like but you yeah. did you did work all day like it's it's okay to count that in your calculation i think part of medicine is that it actually is really hard to count that because we are sort of told and instructed and also just personally feel like we should be learning and reading and doing all the stuff because at the end of the day the fields each and every field has this insane wealth of information that has to be learned, basically. Yeah. Like, urology seems, like, pretty specific to, like, a layperson. And even still, like, the Bible of urology is, like, 5,000 pages long. Yeah. Yeah. And then each subspecialty within urology has even more information. Yeah. Like, pediatric urology has its own Bible. <laughs> um, so many Bibles. <laughs> Too many Bibles. Well, one of them is actually the Bible. Right. <laughs> That's for Euro-Ankh. <laughs> they just use the Bible. It's weird. A lot, of, a lot of last rites. And, uh... Oh, oh, oh. oh that, was a, that was a dark hole. Was oh, a dark boy. Hole. We're delving into it. See, that imposter syndrome definitely brings out, like, my dark sense of humor, my self-deprecating sense of humor. Self-deprecating sense of humor is a thing I have had to work myself out of, like, year after year. Yeah. Because it, it does you no service. It's only a little funny, and it makes everybody think, well, it's like, oh, well, he's saying it, so it might actually be true. Well, I, plus or minus, I will say I think it is a very useful thing to have, and I think it shows like humility. Sure. But I think it is it is the classic example of a little bit goes a long way because we've all been around those people who like the, their only way of interacting is self kind of humor, and it's kind of uncomfortable. Yes, yes. Well, it's You're like, like, please stop. <laughs> I've definitely intermittently been that person, and I have had to work myself out of that. Yeah, every once in a while, it's good to do. It's good. I think it shows, yeah, it shows you don't take yourself too seriously. Um, I think particularly, I think it's actually useful. I will say, I think when you're meeting people who are not in medicine, yeah. but I do think there's this thing where like your friend will introduce you to somebody else and you're like, oh, he's a doctor. And you're like, oh, don't do that. Right. And then it's like, then you, and then like, I think being self-deprecating is like, oh, well, you're like a normal person. Yeah. I think the, the way I've worked around it is to be so comically self-deprecating that it couldn't possibly be true. Like I'll constantly sure. make jokes about how I can't read. <laughs> The problem is in a radiology setting, they'd be like, wait, he may just bad at reading images. (laughs) (laughs) So you gotta gotta specify. It'll be like while you're looking at a piece of paper and like, this doesn't make any sense. I can't read this. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's a very tricky balance to sort of maintain your own self-worth and feel the drive to constantly improve and compare yourself to other people without like actively hurting yourself. Because you need to compare yourself to some extent to... As you said, make sure you're staying on track. But at the same time, you can't take it personally if you feel as though you're not staying on track. It's not that you're a bad person for not knowing things. It's that you, maybe your track is different than other people. I think actually the example you gave of of having a friend who is also a radiologist but at a different program is perfect. Radiology programs are all very different and the way they do things are very different. And it's totally fine. Like my program, I happen to do a lot of like random difficult studies early on but there are things that my program is also missing that other programs may have like i don't have fellows around to teach me which would be pretty great because like some this is this is very niche to radiology but one of the things i beat myself up about is like oh i don't have like the niche things on my differential like i usually know the obvious thing that it could be but i don't know like oh what's the five next most obvious things it could be sure and I, it's like not even really that niche it's like just like what's the next three or whatever right and when you first get to a rotation that's fine and this is kind of what i said before but like as you get into your senior years you start coming back to rotations you've already been on 
And then it's like, well, didn't you cover this last time? Like, it's your second pediatrics rotation and you don't know XYZ already. And you also run into this concept where you're like, you're maybe getting close to the last time you'll do it. Like, I've done two pediatric rotations. I only have one left. So it's like four more weeks of pediatrics and then that's the pediatrics that you know. <laughs> and you obviously you'll learn in your future career. That's kind of always the case. But... Still, that's the last time somebody will like actively endeavor to teach you this thing. I guess within things like neuroradiology or like body, etc., do people specialize further into pediatric? So, or is it kind of just like your career will take you that way? The pediatrics people uh, can. Some people get double fellowships, so they'll do like pediatrics and neuro. Uh, some people just do a pediatrics fellowship, and then they do a ne- like a lot of neuro while they're there. So now they know a lot of peds neuro. Like de facto, uh, it, it's very interesting. A lot of it can be defined by like just what you're comfortable with, and it depends on your practice. You might go somewhere, and they'll say like, "Well, we have a lot of this, so like." figure it out and get comfortable with it and ostensibly you can because if you learned anything before you could learn it again it's just more difficult to do that once you're out there in the real world right it always depends technically like you will always have like a general radiology service where you are just kind of expected to know anything but when you're on that service if you're like on call or whatever it's okay to say like i think it is this but this is not my area of expertise and and, and you're like medical legally covered for to a certain extent obviously if it's something imminently deadly you should know what it is yeah like you can't miss a brain bleed on a like a ct head for stroke but if you miss some like maybe because you're not a neuroradiologist you miss some like mild blurring of some boundaries that could represent something else like okay yeah it's i think the best way to put it is like you are medical legally responsible for the findings but the impression is an impression and therefore is up to your discretion. Like, you don't know if, if you see a thing, but you don't know what it is. It's okay to be broad, which is why, you know, the hedging is a thing. Right. But if you see a thing and you know you don't know what it is and it could kill a person, then maybe you shouldn't have been broad. <laughs> as long as someone can look at the differential you made and be like, oh, it was reasonable that they thought those things. So while, while looking up things about imposter syndrome, I, I came across this, basically this questionnaire that helps you score your level of imposter syndrome. And it's called the Clance Imposter Phenomenon Scale. It was created by Pauline Rose Clance in 1985, actually. She is a, she's a PhD, probably my guess is a sociologist or psychologist, and basically has several different questions. And you basically give an answer where one is not at all true and five is very true and everything, you know, two, three, four are in between. And at the end, you score it. And you basically see the higher your score is, the more imposter syndrome you basically suffer from. It's, it's an interesting exercise to take to take the test. I'd ask you if you uh, if you were able to take the test as well. Yes, yes. So I took it beforehand as well. Again, this was actually just like what we were talking about before, where I was like, I don't think I'm going to score very high on this test. And then I did it, and my score was much higher than I wanted it to be. <laughs> because I <laughs> yeah, would read same. the question, and I'd be like, that's not me. Oh, wait. Actually, I guess I do do that quite a bit <laughs> yes yeah. no exactly yeah and I, that was kind of my experience as well where it's like i, I figured it would be like i def- definitely be some but i think actually for some of the questions i think it was more than i expected but i also think what's interesting is i'd be really curious to actually take this sequentially like the same way you might take a phq9 every year like take this yeah. every year and see how it changes because i think there have been times when i actually would score lower but i think right now i am scoring higher than i think i normally would 
because of how I'm feeling. Yeah, I do think this would be a very interesting thing to do at the end of every year. You know, the question I wanted to ask you in return is, were any of these questions, like, did they kind of mess you up or really resonate with you in a way that made you very uncomfortable? I'll tell you the one that hit me really hard while you while you take a look at them is it was actually number two that one messed me up where it's like i can give the impression that i'm more competent than i really am and this is a thing that i have actively said to people in the past which is that it's it's very easy for me to convince people that i know what i'm talking about that 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 one hit really deep yeah that cut me in a way where i'm like (laughs) oh man yeah i do that a lot but in in the past i i don't think i would have considered that a bad thing i'm like oh that's a skill you know you you sound like you know what you're talking about but in reality it means that i am constantly discounting the fact that i actually maybe know things that my brain is such that i'm like no i don't know it i'm just tricking you it's not that i'm smart it's that you're stupid (laughs) it's essentially what i'm saying when i say that yeah, no, for sure. I, I think um, that one, uh, question 20 was one that, that got me. I feel bad and discouraged if I'm not the best or at least very special in situations that the involve achievement. The very special in quotes hurt me. <laughs> I was just like, wow, okay, I guess you can just just state my pathology in a sentence. All right. Yeah. <laughs> That's a choice and, test. And this is, I think, a pathology we share for having done really well at a young age where you're like if you're do well in like you know elementary school middle school high school whatever it is you get this concept that like oh you're just really good at stuff and then if that gets in your programming it can fuck you up for the rest of your life yeah because when you're not good at things you're like oh um i'm worthless yeah yeah or not even not good if you don't feel like you're like 95th percentile at things i'll say you're like, oh, I'm not, I'm judged, I'm trash. Yeah. And there's the much more common manifestation of that where people become total, like, losers, for lack of a better term. But they, they don't do very much with their life. But they're constantly succeeding relative to the people that they're around. So they can kind of always feel their self-worth. But there's another group of people who are constantly subselecting to more and more difficult groups to be number one. And they still judge themselves the same way. It's like when I was in Gen Pop, I was a pretty high percentile. <laughs> The fact that she's using gen pop is like that's like that's like a term for prisons, yep. right? This world is a prison. All right, well, <laughs> catch up <laughs> severe. <laughs> that is to say, like now I'm surrounded by people who are, by most measures, very very intelligent and hardworking and accomplished. Yeah. yeah, and so it's not a bad thing if you're not number one amongst that group, but it feels bad. Yeah. It feels bad. Um, another one, number seven, I tend to remember the incidents in which I have not done my best more than those times I've done my best. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that one just could not be more true. I mean, that's just, yeah, <laughs> that is just always. Yeah, yeah. I think I, even is... said that, I think I said at the beginning of the podcast or the beginning of this discussion yeah. that I fixate on the failure. I completely forget anything that it that was good. I, and I wonder if this is a thing that I feel like having a comedy oriented brain actually hurts you. Because success is not funny. Like, just like I did that operation and it was great and everything went well is not like a bit. It's not a premise. Patton Oswalt actually has a great joke about this in one of his um, earlier specials where he talks about like, my life's going really great right now. And that's not like funny. Like it was after he married his wife, he had a kid and he, it's just like, I'm like, I'm in a happy relationship. It's just, it's not a funny thing to say on stage. I mean, you're right. right? I mean, the anecdotes you tell. And once again, this is a classic self-deprecation anecdote, are ones in which it's like you failing. Like yeah. I have one that I've told multiple times, which is I was on one of my sub-eyes and I was like 
suturing and I got really nervous because like everyone was kind of watching me suture to like close finish a case and I started like sweating and then with a gloved hand I like wiped my forehead and everyone was like what the fuck are you doing I was like I'm just gonna go kill myself real quick I'll be back uh i like well scrubbed i just well scrubbed this is one of the most mortifying things that i still think about this and feel bad Uh, i don't know if i've told this story yet but here we are uh i was on an ir rotation and i didn't know what was going on in a procedure because it was like a random procedure that they were just like oh you should come look at this and i just had like no idea how it worked oh so that's always so nerve-wracking because like they ask like the the attending is not gonna be like oh well he didn't he didn't know he was gonna join this yeah it's just you don't know so i stepped out and I went to a computer real quick while we were like waiting for something. And I, lo- I started looking up the procedure because I'm like, okay, so I can know what's going on for the rest of the procedure. What I didn't know is that this was an IR suite. <gasps> it was one of the computers that goes to the monitor in the suite. So the attending and the resident could see that I was looking up the procedure outside of the room that's an extraordinary wow that's like that's like a sitcom level yeah and the attending was like hey can you tell my uh med student to get back in here and to study on his own time and yeah i i've i've never recovered from that (laughs) (laughs) i've never i'm I'm still a different person (laughs) that is oh wow like you know it's kind of thing where it's like things you think about before you fall asleep like i'm gonna think about that one about you yeah (laughs) like like for me now like i'm gonna think about that one now yeah oh my god you know how hot like lead is at a baseline i was just like steamed inside of the sea just like standing perfectly still like if i just stand still enough my atoms will dissipate into the universe (laughs) and i'll no longer exist and everybody will talk about that instead of this they'll be like he did something dumb but then he uh disappeared into a cloud of energy so that's more impressive than this (laughs) yeah that was that was oh wow that's crazy that one's so (sighs) yeah i I feel i feel that one deeply yeah (laughs) yeah it it, it, uh there's a reason why i don't tell that story it still hurts (laughs) (laughs) that one is tough another question uh number four when people praise me for something i've accomplished i'm afraid i won't be able to live up to their expectations of me in the future Ooh, Mm. big oof on that Mm. one yeah i make a lot of jokes about setting expectations low and i think there's a little grain of truth to those inside of my heart that i don't love i yeah i totally agree what were ones that were like not that bad to you like one for me was i avoid evaluations if possible and have a dread of others evaluating me I think as part of my pathology, I'm like obsessive about trying to like collect as much feedback as possible. Yeah. Actually, I love feedback constantly because I am already giving myself so much negative feedback. I'm like, give me more negative feedback. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I think the ones where it said like you feel as though you don't deserve what you've yes. gotten, those didn't resonate with me particularly much. And I know, th- I know they do, but at least I can acknowledge the work that I have done. Sure. My pathology is that I never think the work that I'm currently doing is yes. enough. Yes, I, I totally agree. I mean, I do think part of that is part of our privilege as well. Like, I don't think we are made to feel like we don't belong right. by other people. And so I don't think we feel like, oh, I'm here by luck or what have you. Right. And it's easy to fit in when you're like, suffice it to say, there are plenty of Indian males in medicine. It's easy to fit in when you can see literally yourself at like a different point in time. Exactly. Right. So I think the reason we don't feel those is because those speak to sort of like a social othering phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's something we experience within medicine because of like 
demographically who we are. Right, right. It's all, it's more about your particular pathology than anything else. But I think that is, like, if you are a person listening and you do feel those things, that's very, it's very reasonable to feel those things. To feel as though you don't have somebody, like, you you don't feel reflected in the place that you are, or that it was more luck than actual work that got you here and anybody i've ever heard express those thoughts in medicine in particular i've always been like what are you talking like you yeah did you're, a lot so of good. What? Yeah. <laughs> you're so good because again it's just it's the pathology that partially drives them it's it's a not a clean fuel but it works it gets you right. where you need to go but it, it's very damaging along the way for sure um i'll say one of them number 17 I think I, so it's, I often compare my ability to those around me and think they may be more intelligent than I am. I would actually rephrase that as more intelligent or like skilled than I am, or maybe more competent than I, like, I think the choice of the word intelligent slightly misses how this would apply to medicine. Yeah. Uh, intelligent is, a, yeah, I also didn't agree with that for intelligence, but I did end up scoring that highly. Yes, I took same. it as like work ethic. That's the thing. Like sometimes I'll see people who are doing really well and I'm like, I don't know how you do that after having worked yes. 12 hours a day for four mm-hmm. days and now it's Friday and you're still working at the same pace. I'm like, oh, this is not something I can do. But then I also don't think to myself, like, do I look like that to other people? Like, are they like, oh, he's still working after all this time? Because I'm not saying that I'm super tired. Actually, I say I'm tired all the time, but that's mostly it to justify cooking to get coffee. <laughs> <laughs> So obviously we discussed this a lot. We discussed sort of that those feelings. And I guess as sort of the structure of the podcast has fallen into, we discuss sort of the issue and we talk about ways to make that better. I think it's obvious how this affects wellness, right? Yes. Like I think there are multiple studies showing that the more imposter syndrome you feel, the more likely you are to experience burnout. That's just a thing. Right. And so and it's and it's a very obvious connection. Like of course those correlate. And so it's very clear how, that, how it would negatively impact wellness. Although one could argue having a little bit of it could be useful in terms of driving you, right? So you don't just sit on top of Mount Stupid forever, but it's all in moderation. I guess the question I have is what can you, I, or just residents in general, can, what can we do to improve that? Or what can our administration or our leadership do to improve that uh, and make that better? Or is there something that can be done? Yes, there is There is sort of a very strong support network to keeping imposter syndrome in place. Yes. Because it is the metric by which they tr- attempt to drive people. You know, like praise of the things you have done is more rare than criticism for the things you've failed at in general. Like let, people are less likely to just say like, oh, you're doing a great job than like, oh, here are the areas in which you can improve, right? And part of that is is an educational framework. Like if you're doing something well, I could belabor that point forever, but shouldn't we focus on the things you aren't doing well? Because I have a finite time with you and like I need to get you to a place. But we could all be a little bit more free with our praise of others and know that our expectations are high like your expectations are sent essentially set over the course of six years if you're an attending right you're like i need this person to be this person by the end of the time they leave here right right which is great when you're at year six and you've hit those expectations but when you're at year one and you cannot possibly hit the expectations of year six, it just because you're only one sixth of the way, it just wouldn't work. And I think they do that to some extent, like residencies are encouraged to set benchmarks and tell people that they are meeting those benchmarks. But people are really bad at actually making you feel good about hitting those benchmarks. 
like the benchmarks are either so low that they are just like, well, of course you hit that, but you should be doing better than that. That I get a lot, especially in radiology, because you could always just read more. So even if you're reading a ton, it'll just be like, well, you could be reading more. So do that, though. I mean, admittedly, most people aren't reading a ton. It's also just like, if your expectations were higher than this number, why did you tell me this number? Don't tell me it. Tell me what you expect and I'll do that. Right. Or I won't do that. And you'll have an accurate assessment of like how I'm doing. You know, we need like good benchmarks that you could strive to that are actually accurate to reality. So they're yes. not just like nebulous things that, you know, oh, you should know how to manage this. I'm like, but what does that mean? Like, be more specific. And I don't know why those don't exist in that way. I think part of it is like, if you set a benchmark, then that's the thing people will do. And maybe they won't go past that. Sure. But think about the mental health of the people who are in your program. Yeah, I mean, I will say, right, like the end of the year, we have our like evaluation, we like talk with our program director, and then the faculty does like a 360 evaluation of every resident. And they think through basically, are they meeting X, Y, and Z benchmarks? And I think in general, yeah, people are meeting them. And we get some feedback from that, like things you could do better, etc. Well, I think what's tricky is you, you end up with a summation, the sort of summative, like you are doing X, Y, and Z, you could do maybe this better, etc. But I think you miss a little bit about the actual sort of day to day, how things are going. I think one thing I mentioned, we mentioned before in the podcasting maybe around the concept of autonomy, that there are several apps where basically the attending will review how a resident did during a case. And right. my program actually recently started piloting one. I think we still need to probably use it a little more than we are because I think it's it's hard to get into the habit of constantly being like, oh, hey, attending X, like evaluate me on this thing. Just so like, you know, it's, it's not natural yet. Five stars? <laughs> <laughs> just at the end of the case, just be like, hey, five stars? <laughs> uh, also, there's some water at the desk if you want yeah. it. <laughs> water. Please give me five stars. You, you guys, you know, you can hook up your Spotify. You can play whatever music you want. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. So I think that's useful, right? So you're kind of getting it as you move along. I will say, I think part of what actually helped me a little bit was the ability to talk to more a more senior resident who I trust and just get her thoughts on it because I know she's been through it before and it, and it did make me feel better. Or in the case of my sister, like obviously she's been through residency, but her husband's been through surgical residency. And so being able to hear that what I was feeling was not was not unique, I think helped. Once again, it doesn't get rid of the feelings, but I think it just makes you feel a little less alone. Yeah, yeah. If only there was like, um, I don't know, like a something you could just listen to. And it's just like two people talking about like, you know, how they feel about things. But you could find some sort of commonality, commonality, yeah. right? And it would make you feel better about yourself. But to that, it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. There's no resource like that. I have been listening to some high yield vascular surgery podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to be clear, I cut that out of the last episode. <laughs> and I'm going to keep bringing it up until it's in an episode. No. No, but in in reality, I agree that that is kind of the best way to deal with these things. It's just to know that other people felt that way as well. The difficult thing is it is not a thing that can be manufactured. Like it is more about your relationship with that person than it is like, oh, we're going to have a session where the senior residents talk about like, because that would feel so performative and so yeah, it fake. Feels, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's difficult to... If you're running a program to say like, oh, I hope the people in this program get along well interpersonally. And that's a thing that could just change because of the match. Like you don't of have course, control yeah. of that. Well, I, I mean, I think it's the idea right, of mentorship programs of kind of assigning people to like certain faculty members or, or you find your own mentor so that you can have that sort of relationship. 
where you could d- discuss these things in an organic way. Like that is part of the reason. Part of it's like career advice and just like general, but like part of it, I think is this kind of stuff. But I will say, right? Because I am someone when I am having an issue, I'm very much a, I think it's a very like millennial mindset. I'm like, time to Google it and see what people have to say online. <laughs> right. And so I did that, right? I read, I read a bunch of things about it. And all, a lot of it was saying the same stuff. Like this is a normal experience to have in medicine. But it, I don't know, it just, it felt way better when it was someone who like I actually know. Yeah. Whose opinion I trust. It's just, it's just right. I mean, that's just, I think it's a normal human thing, but I, I mean, I don't know. It, it was more impactful. It's easy to attribute a lot of it to just sort of lip service where you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, but you're just saying that thing. I don't know how much you actually mean it. But when it's somebody you know, you can at least rely on the fact that they feel the same thing as you. Yeah. It's very difficult, like resident to resident wellness. You know, there's always going to be somebody who's like, I'm in charge of wellness. But like, what does that actually mean? Are you the person who plans a happy hour every once in a while? Because that's great. I mean, that's very useful and great to happen. And that's where those relationships can be forged. Sure. But that event in and of itself is not one of those relationships. Right. Which I think I think it's actually part of a, a lar- like a broader thesis for the podcast, right? Yeah. Like, it's not about these random events, right? It's about a lot of times the little things that make up your day or your entire residency, really. Yeah. Yeah. I'd recommend to all our listeners, if they're curious, we will link it in the show notes to take the CIPS, yeah. the, the the imposter syndrome scale, basically, questionnaire. I, I think I think it's a really, it's really interesting to do, um, and I think it might give you some insights um, into the way you feel about it. Yeah, and it may help, or it may just make you feel bad. It's also possible. Yeah, this, this podcast isn't medical advice, to be clear. No, no, no. <laughs> Neither of us are acting in our capacity as a doctor. <laughs> Yeah, I'm acting as my capacity as an out-of-shape uh, Chippendale dancer. Yeah, it's actually pretty good. This is one of the few areas in which I don't feel imposter syndrome because I'm just like, I'll talk about wellness, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> which I think says something about how I feel about people who talk about wellness. I'm like, oh, it doesn't, like, qualifications for this are fake. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, it's not real at all. Not real at all. It's like the, the qualifications to talk about wellness aren't even being well. Right, it's just like being a person. A person, yeah. Who, like, doesn't having- mind talking. Which I think if there's one thing you can say about our podcast, as the iTunes reviews have been saying, these two don't mind talking. <laughs> don't mind talking. Uh, I think that's I think that's a good place to end, Samir. I think so. I think yeah. so. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at MWS Podcast, on Facebook, www.facebook.com slash MWS Podcast FB. Uh, you can email us. Please email us. We need ideas at mandatory wellness session at gmail.com. And we also have a website which will be linked on our various social media. And as always, our theme song is Nothing Slash Anything by Westy Reflector. See you guys next week. See ya. Like